Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number six, and we're making our way through the gospel according to Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in this uh, series that we're calling Journey with Jesus. If you remember last week, we uh, were in Luke chapter six, we looked at verses one through 11, and we saw those two different Sabbath days in which Jesus was being accused and attacked by the Pharisees, and we learned about uh, the keeping of the Sabbath day and what that means, and uh, today we're going to just continue uh, where we left off, and we're actually not, we're not going to look at a, a, a lot of verses from Luke. We're going to look at a lot of verses tonight. In fact, let me just warn you, it may feel a little bit more like a Bible study tonight, um, and, and I would encourage you to just get ready to move with us, and, and there's a lot of interesting things that I'd like you to see tonight, um, but we're, we're not going to make it too far uh, through this uh, passage of Scripture. In fact, if you look down at verse number 12, the Bible says this. What, we, what you find in this passage in Luke chapter 6 and uh, verse number 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. What we see in this passage of Scripture is the choosing of the twelve. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been in his ministry, has started his ministry, he's uh, developed a group of people that he's working with, he's got some disciples, but now here in Luke chapter 6, he gathers that that group of disciples together, and out of that group, he chooses 12, which he calls apostles. And we're going to look at that uh, tonight a little bit, but I want you to notice, and I'll just kind of give you up front, I've got two kind of main categories or main points we're going to uh, look at, and a lot of points in between those uh, uh, those two, all right? So don't get too excited. But the, the first thing that I want you to notice, and we see it in verse 12, is we see a prayerful preparation. And I want you to notice that when the Lord Jesus Christ had an important decision to make, he had to choose the 12. Uh, he had to go to his disciples and choose the 12. That would be the 12 that would help him, uh, the, the group that he would mentor, the group that he would um, spend time with in order to leave them in charge when he ascends up to heaven, when he had to make that decision, I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is God in the flesh, uh, spent the night in prayer. He was preparing for this decision, and it was a prayerful preparation. It says, and it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray, notice, and continued all night in prayer to God. He spent all night praying. Why would he do that? Here's why. Because he had a a decision to make and he had a prayerful preparation. He continued all night in prayer. And then in verse 13, we see the second heading or the second point that I want to talk about tonight. And we see a deliberate designation. Notice he chooses these men, verse 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. Now, the word disciple means a student or a follower. A disciple is someone who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a student of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was being discipled by him or was learning to live a disciplined life according to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He called unto him his disciples. And please understand this. Being saved and being a disciple are not necessarily the same thing. You can be saved and not be a disciple. You can be saved and not be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were his disciples. He calls his disciples pretty much what we would consider his church, his congregation. And of them, the Bible says there in verse 13, and of them he chose 12 
whom also he named apostles. I want you to understand that word apostle is really just a transliteration from the Greek word that means a sent one or a person that is sent. The word apostle is a word that is used for someone that Jesus was going to send. I know I preached a whole sermon on soul winning uh, this morning, but really he's looking at these disciples and then he's choosing 12 of them that he's going to put into a position where he could send them out to lead churches, to start churches, to do uh, great works for him. And, and he's going to begin by sending them out to do soul winning and by teaching them about soul winning. So I want you to notice some things from this uh, passage uh, tonight. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write some of these things down. Go with me. Keep your place there in Luke. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 4. If you go backwards past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's begin by looking at this idea of a prayerful preparation. And it's interesting to me because when you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you study the Gospels and you study the life of Christ, you'll notice that it is highlighted over and over and over again how much time the Lord Jesus Christ spent in prayer. He spent a lot of time in prayer, but I want you to notice that some of the times that he spent in prayer were very purposeful or very specific. Jesus, in fact, prepared through prayer. And here's the point that I want to make, and maybe you can jot this down. Prayer holds the power to advance the work of God. Whenever you see the Lord Jesus Christ getting ready to advance the work of God, you'll notice that there is always prayerful preparation that goes before that. There's always a time of specific prayer, of sacrificial prayer, before he launches something. Notice in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1, we have the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness. Matthew 4 and verse 1, notice what it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Just for context, I want you to remember that this is right after his public baptism and right before he launches his public ministry. This is when Jesus, he gets baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, uh, uh, led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He's about to launch his ministry publicly as a preacher of the Word of God. Notice verse 2, And when he had fasted, 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. I want you to notice that before the Lord Jesus Christ launched his ministry, before maybe we would call it he planted his church, and I understand he didn't plant a church, he planted all churches, he's the head of the church, but before he began his ministry, before he launched his ministry, he spent time in prayer. He spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting and in prayer to God, before he launched his ministry. We saw here in Luke chapter 6 that after he launched his ministry, when his ministry had gotten to the place where he needed to hire some workers, he needed to hire a full-time staff, he needed to pick 12 guys that were going to be with him, that were going to leave their jobs and be with him day and night so that he could train them, so that he could help them, so that he could develop them and mentor them because these were the 12 men that were going to take his message after he ascends up to heaven. These 12 men were going to take his message to the world and into the first century. Here, the Bible tells us that before he made that choice, before he brought his disciples together and said, I'm choosing the 12, he he spent all night in prayer. Why? Uh, because uh, uh, prayer holds the power to advance the work of God. 
He spent time in prayer before he launched his ministry. He spent time in prayer before he chose the 12. Go to Matthew 26. I want you to notice that he spent time in prayer before his death. I mean, Jesus was here to do many things. One was to train the 12 so that he could uh, uh, start the local church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the number one thing that Jesus came to do was to die for the sins of mankind was to die and to resurrect from the grave. And I want you to notice that right before he did his biggest work, his biggest task, he prayed. Matthew 26, look at verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. This is the night before his crucifixion. And saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And there's a whole story here and a going back and forth between him and the disciples. They keep falling asleep. Like you fall asleep while I'm preaching, they fall asleep while he was praying, and it frustrated him like it frustrates me. But look, look at verse 39. We'll skip some of that for sake of time. Verse 39, and he went a little further, notice, and fell on his face. Get, uh, please get this. This is not you or me. This is not a human being that's a sinner and fallible. This is the sinless Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who felt the need before his biggest work, the Bible tells us he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cut pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Look down at verse number 42, same chapter. After he'd spoken to his disciples for a little bit, the Bible says he went away again the second time, notice, and prayed. Skip down to verse number 44, same chapter. Notice, after he'd spoken to them for a little bit, in verse 44, the Bible says, And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And here we see in Gethsemane that Jesus uh, spends a good majority, if not the whole night, a good majority of the night in prayer. When did he pray? He prayed right before he launched his ministry. When did he pray? He prayed right before. He spent the whole night in prayer right before he chose the 12 apostles. When did he pray? He prayed the night before he did his greatest work on the cross, the work of redemption. I'm here to tell you something. Jesus understood the power and the need of prayer. And here's all I'm saying is that if Jesus, the sinless Son of God, deity in the flesh, felt the need before he accomplished a great work to pray, how much more do you and I need prayer? I mean, if he spent that much time in prayer, how much time do you and I need to spend in prayer? Notice it wasn't only that Jesus used prayer as a time of preparation, a prayerful preparation, but this is something that his 12 learned from him. Go to Acts, if you would, Acts chapter number 1. You're there in Matthew. You'll go Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and do me a favor, put your place, keep your place there in Acts. We're going to leave it and come back to it. Acts chapter 1. Remember, he's training the 12. And one of the things that he trained the 12 was in prayer. I'm not going to take the time to go through it, but not too long ago, I, we did a whole Sunday morning series. I, I, I think we spent four or five weeks on a sermon, on a series called The School of Prayer. And if you remember, the disciples, the apostles came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. So he did. He taught them to pray. Now, I want you to notice it, it must have worked because that early church, like the Lord Jesus Christ, prepared through prayer, that early church prepared through prayer as well. They believed in prayer. 
You say, when did they pray? Well, they prayed before major evangelistic campaigns. Notice Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. This is right before the day of Pentecost. And let me remind you something, that the day of Pentecost is not what most people are taught, which most people are taught that it was like a Billy Graham crusade where Peter stood up in front of 3,000 people and he preached the gospel and they walked down the aisle and they, uh, you know, had uh, Muslims and Catholics and Presbyterians talk to them and supposedly they got saved. No, that's not what happened at the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, Peter actually spoke to a very small group of people. The day of Pentecost was a soul-winning church, 120 Spirit-filled soul winners went out and they opened their mouths and they preached the gospel. But notice, right before their big soul winning push, right before their big evangelistic campaign, the Bible tells us in Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord in prayer. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. The early church, they prayed. They prayed before major evangelistic campaigns. I want you to notice, go to Acts chapter 12 if you would. Acts chapter 12, they prayed during times of persecution. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. I'm just telling you, if we're going to pattern ourselves and model ourselves after local New Testament churches, which I think we should, we're Baptists, we're Biblicists, we're going to say the Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice. If we're going to say that we're a local New Testament church, like the church in Acts, well, I'm here to tell you something. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication before major evangelistic campaigns. We're about to have what's considered for us a major evangelistic soul-winning push and campaign. And I want to encourage you, show up for soul-winning, but also spend time in prayer. Spend time praying. Maybe you say, man, I've had a dry spell in my soul winning and I've been going soul winning and nobody's been getting saved and I haven't been able to talk to anybody. Let me ask you this. How much time have you spent in prayer? How much time have you spent in prayer before you go out and preach the gospel, asking the Lord to, 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 to help you, maybe confessing sin before the Lord, asking Him to fill you with His Spirit to, to, to help you come to the right people to preach the gospel that they might get saved. That's what the early church did. They continued steadfastly in prayers and supplications. They also prayed during times of persecution. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4, notice what the Bible says, And when he, this is Herod the king, had apprehended him, this is Peter the apostle, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quantorians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Here we have uh, uh, Herod, who has captured Peter. He's already put uh, 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 James, uh, the, excuse me, uh, uh, he, he's put uh, James to death. And now he wants to put Peter to death. Verse 5, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And I won't take the time to go read through the whole thing, but if you remember the story, God sends an angel and he breaks Peter out of prison as a result of this prayer. During times of persecution, they prayed. And look, we have not dealt with the persecution that the early church has dealt with, but we've dealt with some persecution. We've had the, 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 the government and the uh, uh, society turned against us. You say, what should we do when we suffer persecution? Well, we ought to do what the local uh, church in the book of Acts did, and we should pray. Amen. What should we do before major evangelistic campaigns? We should pray. Amen. I want you to notice that they, they prayed. They, they had prayerful preparation. Not only that, but they pray. You'll notice this theme in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 6, if you would. Acts chapter number 6. 
You'll notice this theme. That they also prayed before they ordained ministers. Notice in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. You have the ordination of the first deacons. In Acts 6 and verse 5, the Bible says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they, notice the words, had prayed, they laid hands on them, they ordained them into the ministry. What they do before they ordain the deacons into the ministry? They pray. You'll notice that there's a theme here. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Not only did they pray before they ordained the deacons, but they prayed before they ordained evangelists or missionaries. Notice in Acts 13 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Notice, they prayed before they ordained the deacons to uh, serve in the church there. They prayed before they ordained the evangelists and sent them out as missionaries. Go to Acts chapter 14, look at verse 23. They also prayed before they ordained pastors. It, it seems like they were just looking for any excuse to pray. In fact, any time that something big was going on, they were going to ordain a pastor. They were going to ordain a missionary. They were going to ordain a deacon. They were going to go into some big evangelistic push. They were going through some uh, trials and tribulations. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. Jesus had to choose the 12. He prayed. Jesus had to go to the cross. He prayed. Jesus had to start a ministry. He prayed. I'm just here to tell you, I think that uh, the, 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 the uh, idea and the emphasis in the Word of God is that prayer is a big deal. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. What is that? That's pastors. Notice, and had prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord and whom, unto whom they believed. Here's all I'm telling you. Prayer holds the power to advance the work of God. And if we're going to be a church, and if you're going to be a Christian that enjoys the power of God, we're going to have to learn to pray. I'm encouraging you to pray. There's a reason why we, on Wednesday nights, and I realize not every Wednesday night, sometimes on a Wednesday night we have something special going on like the Lord's Supper and we may skip it, but there's a reason why 99% of the Wednesday nights around here, we take time as a church to pray. You say, why? Well, Jesus said that the house of God may be called a house of prayer. And we have to understand and we have to remember that prayer is what unlocks the power of God. Prayer, you're there in Acts, go to Romans chapter 15, if you would. Just one book over, Romans chapter 15. It always is, is, is very convicting to me. Because here's what I can tell you about prayer. Prayer is one of these things that 100% of us, none of us do enough of it, period. And if you think you do enough prayer, you're wrong. <laughs> You know, it's not like, you know, you preach about Bible reading, and if you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Bible once a year, or twice a year, or three times a year. You can, it's kind of like a guilt-free sermon, you know? Like, well, I'm reading the Bible, so praise God for that. Or and you preach a sermon on soul winning, and then you're like, I'm so glad we went soul winning yesterday. I almost skipped out, but yeah, you know, that sermon would have been really uncomfortable. You know, it's like you, you went soul winning or, or you get a sermon on, on church attendance and, and you're like, well, I haven't missed uh, in a long time or whatever. But you know, prayer is one of these things that every time it's brought up, you're not doing enough. Right. 
and I'm not, I'm not doing enough. We don't do enough prayer, but the interesting thing is, I don't think we really, I think intellectually, in our minds, we understand prayer, but if we really understood that prayer means that you and I have access to God, you and I have access to God. We can close our eyes and bow our heads or bow our knee or raise our hands up to heaven and speak to the God of the universe. You say, why would Jesus spend all night in prayer? I think Jesus understood. I get to speak with God the Father. I think I'll do this all night long. And he prayed. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Now this morning, this morning... I showed you Philippians 1, 27, where it says, striving together for the faith of the gospel, that we as a church are to strive and work together. When I see that word strive, I think of, uh, of, of a group of, 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 of athletes, of men, maybe rowing together. They're striving together. They're working to get uh, something done. And we saw in Philippians 1.27 that let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ and that we should be striving together for the faith of the gospel. But I want you to notice in Romans 15 and verse 30, we see another thing that we should be striving together in. Romans 15 and verse 30, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God. For me. Amen. See, we ought to be striving together for the gospel and we ought to be striving together in prayer. And I just want to ask you, how much time do you spend praying? And whatever the answer is, don't feel bad because it's not enough. And I just want to encourage you, we ought to do more. We ought to do more time in prayer. Especially before some big, you've got some big major decision. Maybe you've got some big decision you have to make in life. Spend time in prayer. Jesus had to choose the 12, and he spent all night in prayer. And if Jesus needed it, then you and I need it. Go back to Luke chapter 6, if you would. So we see this prayerful preparation. Jesus prepared the prayer. Before the launch of his ministry, he prayed. Before the choosing of the 12, he prayed. Before his redemptive work on the cross, he prayed. We see that the early church prayed. Before major evangelistic campaigns, they prayed. During times of persecution, they prayed. When they ordained ministers for the ministry, whether it was deacons or evangelists or pastors, they prayed. And what I take away from that is that we need to pray. We need prayer. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, not only do we see this prayerful preparation, but we see a deliberate designation. In this passage there, if you look down at verse 13, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ chose the twelve. In verse 13 it says, And when it was day, after he spent all night in prayer, this prayerful preparation for the choosing of the twelve, and when it was day, the Bible says he called unto him his disciples. Remember, the disciples are the students or followers. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. And then we have a listing of the apostles here. Verse 14, we have number one, Simon, who he also named Peter. And number two, Andrew, his brother. Number three, James. And number four, John. Number uh, five, Philip. Uh, number, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting my numbers mixed up here. Simon's the first, Andrew's the second, James the third, John's the fourth. Yeah, Philip the fifth, Bartholomew the sixth, Matthew the seventh, Thomas the eighth, James the son of Alphaeus uh, the ninth, Simon called Zelotes the tenth. 
Judas, the brother of James, the 11th, and Judas Iscariot, the 12th. Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Elotes, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. We see here that the 12 are chosen and the 12 are named. And I, I want to spend a little bit of time tonight just talking to you about these 12 apostles. And uh, I, I, think, I think the study of the 12 apostles is something, I don't know if it's interesting to you, but it's something that's very interesting to me. And uh, I want to just give you kind of just some, some thoughts and maybe you can jot some of these things down. First of all, I want you to know that the names of the 12 apostles are all are mentioned in three different gospels. Uh, one is the one we saw here, Luke chapter 6. The other, if you want to jot this down for your own reference, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, we get the list of the 12 apostles. And in Mark chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, we get a list of the 12 apostles. And when you look at these lists and you compare them, you'll notice uh, some things about them. First of all, Peter is always mentioned first. Peter is always mentioned first because he was the leader of the apostles. He was the one in charge. And I think it's interesting, just know, we talked about this on Wednesday night, there's always a leader. There was always a God-given leader. When God chooses a group of men, He puts Peter as the leader, and he's always mentioned first. You also will notice that Andrew, James, and John are always mentioned in uh, second, third, and fourth place, uh, though their orders vary. So it's not like one is always the second one mentioned, and one's always the third one mentioned, or one's always the fourth one mentioned. But those three names will be mentioned in the second, third, and fourth category, and that's because these men were known as the inner circle. Jesus had the multitudes, 5,000 men that he fed and multitudes that followed him, but within that big group of people that, that, that would come out to hear Jesus preach and come out for a free lunch and have spectators. Within that big group, he had a smaller group that would have been called his disciples. And the disciples were probably hundreds of disciples that were followers, that were students. They weren't just spectators. They weren't just showing up for a special service because they were giving away free food. They were actually following and being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we saw in Luke chapter uh, 6, of that group of disciples, he picked a smaller group a group of 12 that he called apostles. And in even that group of 12, he had a smaller inner circle of Peter, James, and John, who were his inner circle. These were the men that he was closest to. Peter as the leader uh, of the church. John, the Bible calls him the beloved, the one that laid his head on the breast of, of Jesus. And you had Andrew, the brother of Peter, and, and, and James, the brother of John. And you'll notice that for that reason, you've got first, second, third, fourth in this category. And I, I'm bringing that up because sometimes in, in ministry, people will criticize you. Like, well, why aren't you, uh, you know, you're close to this person. Why aren't you close to me? Because I don't like you. <laughs> well, you know. Let's move on. The point is this. You can't be close to everybody. <laughs> but I will tell you, sometimes people do ask, you know, they ask, well, how can I get close to Pastor? How can I get close to uh, Miss Joanne? Uh, become a worker. Amen. Show up to work. Let me let you know a little secret. You want to get close to Miss Joanne? She's got, all, she's got all sorts of events that she puts on all the time around here. You want to get close to Miss Joanne? Help her uh, decorate. <laughs> Help her clean afterwards. Uh, I, I'm just telling you, sometimes you get close to people because they're just the ones that are working alongside you. Because they're the ones that are investing their lives into the same thing you're investing into. And here you've got these inner circle men, 
Peter, James, John, Andrew. And for that reason, they're always mentioned. Peter's always mentioned first. These other men are mentioned in either second, third, or fourth category, though those are uh, very in, uh, in orders. Then, of course, you always have Judas Iscariot, who's always mentioned last. And, of course, he's the traitor. He's the betrayer. So he's always mentioned last. Just also for your own knowledge, Judas, the brother of James, is sometimes referred to as Labaeus and sometimes referred to as Thaddeus uh, in, these, in these different uh, uh, references of the uh, disciples of the apostles. So uh, just know that so that doesn't throw you off. Now, I want to show you just some things here about the apostles. Go to Acts, if you would, Acts chapter 14. And, and I want you to understand something because you have the choosing of the 12, but th there's some things that confuse people about the apostles. And I want to maybe clarify that or help you understand that. And the first is this, that there were actually more than 12 apostles. The Bible teaches that there was more than 12. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 14, the Bible says this, which when the apostles, notice Barnabas, what you know is that Barnabas is called an apostle here in Acts 14, 14, but Barnabas is not one of the 12. His name never comes up as one of the 12. The Bible says when, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. And, and I'm reading that verse just to show you that Barnabas is referred to as an apostle, and I'm showing you that there's actually more than 12 apostles. Now, the reason that you, that you need to understand that or, and get that, and, and I'm almost hesitant to kind of put it this way, but here's what I want you to understand. In the early church, you had the disciples, you had, well, first of all, you had just the spectators, the congregation. I mean, Jesus' ministry was like any other ministry. Just like our church, we have people that show up on Sunday mornings once every few months or whatever, and they're not really that involved, or they're not, they'll just kind of come, they'll come on Easter, they'll come on Christmas, they'll come if we send them a postcard. And if you were to talk to those people and ask them, what church do you go to? They would say, Verity Baptist Church. And who's your pastor? Pastor Roger Jimenez. But they come like two or three times a year. You know, they're just kind of the spectators. They're not really followers or disciples. Uh, and, and Jesus had those. Then you have the disciples. Those, those are the people that come faithfully. They're actually trying to apply the teaching. They're trying to apply it to their lives. But then you had this other group that was called apostles. Now, you had the 12 apostles. Those were the first apostles. But then you had more apostles than that. And this is where I'm hesitant to kind of use it as an example. But these apostles were like the soul winners. Because you remember the word apostle means the sent ones. And what made, you said, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? An apostle was one that went out to preach the gospel. Now, I'm hesitant to say that because some of you are crazy enough to start calling yourselves apostles. <laughs> Don't do that, all right? If you want to see me upset, start calling yourself an apostle. But what I'm saying is that there was this different layer of people who were apostles in the early church, and there was more than 12. In fact, uh, we talked about this in the morning. You don't have to turn here. I'll read this for you in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. Luke 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two. Those 70 were probably apostles. And so there was more apostles. And here's why I bring it up, because today you've got false teachers that will say that they are apostles. And then, they, and then, you know, a good Baptist will say, well, there's only 12 apostles. Then they'll show you a verse where somebody else is an apostle, and you're like, ah, I don't know today. Um, or I never knew that. 
Well, just know that there's more than 12 apostles because an apostle is a sent one. So, for example, Barnabas here and Paul are being sent as missionaries, as evangelists. So, in a way, they're apostles. Barnabas is an apostle, and he's even referred to as an apostle here. He's called an apostle. So, there are more than 12 apostles. But here's what I want you to understand, though. You're there in Acts. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I want you to understand that though there was more than 12 apostles, there were only 12 chief apostles. And what, what I mean by that is that the 12 were the 12, like these are the, the 12. In fact, in the Bible, they're referred to as the 12. The interesting thing is that they're even referred to as the 12 when there was only 11 of them. When Judas Iscariot died they're still referred to as the 12. So the 12 became like a name for, it was like their team. If you would think about a, a team, they, they go by a name that, 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 I don't even, I can't even think, I don't know anything about sports. What's a, what's a team around here? The 49ers. The one time I'm going to bring up the 49ers in a positive light. The 49ers is their name, right? But there's not 49 of them. Do you understand? That's actually a perfect example. Thank you. <laughs> the, there's not 49 49ers. And, you know, whenever they're swapping out players and they're getting a new quarterback or getting rid of a quarterback or getting a new, I don't know, any other position in football other than quarterback, so we're going to leave it there. Um, and, they're, you know, whatever. They're still the 49ers. Do you understand that? They're known as the 49ers, you know, as they're swapping. So the 12 are the 12. It's the original 12 apostles. But there's more apostles than just the 12 apostles, but the 12 is known as the 12, even when there was 11 of them, they're still known as the 12. 2 Corinthians 11, let me sh show this to you, I was highlighted in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 5, for I suppose I was not a whip behind, here's what Paul, because Paul's having to defend his apostleship, he says, for I suppose that I was not a whip behind the very chiefest apostles. So notice, though there are many apostles, maybe even 70 apostles, he's, when he's talking about the apostles, he's talking about the 12, the chiefest apostles, the main apostles. Look down at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians 12, 11, the Bible says, I am become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been uh, commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very, notice what Paul says, chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So I want you to notice when Paul is referring to himself as an apostle, he's making sure that they understand. Paul's saying, when I say I'm an apostle, I'm not talking about like I'm one of the 70 apostles. He's like, I'm one of the chief apostles. I'm one of the 12 apostles. So here's what I want you to say about the apostles. Number one, there were more than 12 apostles. But number two, there were only 12 chief apostles or the main apostles, or the ones that you would think of when we think of the 12 apostles. Now, the reason that I bring this up, and I've preached this before, but I, I just want to explain this to you, because I think it's interesting, and sometimes people read things in the Bible, and it's a little confusing, so I just want to help you understand this. Go, go to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Acts chapter 1. There's a controversy as to 
who are the 12 apostles or the legitimate apostles? And people argue back and forth about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you my position on it. Not that it really matters. It's just something interesting. And we're talking about the 12 apostles, so I figured it'd be something fun to talk about or discuss. I'll give you my ideas, and if you don't agree with me, that's fine. You can be wrong. Um, but I'll let you know what I think about it. There's a controversy in regards to uh, the apostles and who the apostles are because of something that took place in Acts chapter 1 and verse 21. Now, remember the context, okay? Jesus just, you know, died, resurrected, was with them for 40 days, and then ascended up to heaven. And he's left them, and he's told them to wait because the, the day of Pentecost is coming, and the day that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them, and the power of the Holy Ghost, they're going to be empowered on the day of Pentecost. They're waiting for that. They're in the upper room, they're praying, they're, they're preparing. But in that, they get this idea that, hey, we're the 12, our team's the 12, but there's only 11 of us. So we need to replace Judas Iscariot. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 21. So they come up with these, they, they start thinking, well, you know, how are we going to replace, how are we going to re pick a new apostle? And they get this idea that they've got to come up with qualifications for an apostle. So they do. Look at verse 21. Here's what they decided. Wherefore, of these men, which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So they said, the first qualification that we need for an apostle is there needs to be someone that's been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Because remember, we saw in Luke 6, Jesus chose the twelve out of the bigger group of his disciples. So they're saying, hey, let's go back to that bigger group of his disciples and see if we can find someone that has been with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Notice verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John. So they had to be with them from the baptism of John unto, number three, the same day that he was taken up from us. So they came up with these qualifications and said, okay, to be an apostle, you have to have you know, been with us from the baptism of John and been with us up until uh, the, the same day that Jesus ascended up to heaven or was taken up from us and must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23, and they appointed two. So out of all the people there, they're like, well, there's two guys that meet the qualification. They appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, whose was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they play, uh, prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So they, they came up with these qualifications, and then they're like, okay, we got two guys that meet those qualifications. And then they're like, okay, well, how are we going to pick one, verse 25, that he may take part of his ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, and they gave forth their lots. You say, what does it mean to give forth their lots? Nobody really knows what it means to give for their lots, but it's, it's, it's something similar to like uh, pulling straws or rolling dice or playing, you know, rock, paper, scissors. I don't know, but it's just kind of like something they did to, okay, you know, we're going to pick one of these guys. They, they picked someone, notice verse 26, and they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So this is what the early church, decided. they're like, Judas betrayed us. We need to replace, there's only 11 of us and we're called the 12. So they're like thinking like, we're either going to have to change our name or we, we got to find somebody else. 
So they came up with these qualifications. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's my take on this. And, and you may disagree with this, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with you disagreeing. Go to Galatians if you would. You're there in Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. They came, I think their heart was in the right place, but I think that they're overstepping their boundaries a little bit here. I don't think that the Bible is really, because, it, and here's what you understand. Whenever you read stories in the Bible, narratives, just understand, just because somebody did something does not make it right. The Bible just tells us sometimes what people do. Now, sometimes the, the narrator will comment upon what they did and tell us if it was right or if it was wrong. But there's lots of times that the narrator tells us that something happened and they don't tell us this was right or this was wrong. They just tell us it's what they did. Do you understand that? So, and, and sometimes you can prove that it's wrong. For example, you can look at these Old Testament examples where someone will marry multiple wives and God doesn't comment. He just tells us that they married a multi, a, another wife. But we can look at clear scriptures that tell us you're not supposed to marry other wives. Do you understand that? So, so sometimes, just because the Bible tells you something but it doesn't tell you whether it was right or wrong, um, doesn't make it right or wrong. And here, it's not like God is telling us and the Lord was pleased with what they did. But, but, but let me just say this. I don't think God was really angry with them either. I think God's just like, okay, whatever. They, they chose Matthias. But that, I don't believe that was, that, that's what God's choice was. Because I do think God wanted to replace Judas with someone, but God had already chosen somebody else. You say, who was it? It was a guy by the name of Paul. Amen. Or Saul. Notice Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, understand this, is not a narrative. It is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It is Paul, the narrator, speaking, but, but the true narrator is the Holy Spirit of God. Do you understand that? Amen. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we're not reading a story that we're not sure whether this is what, right or wrong or whatever. This is God speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. Galatians 1 and verse 1, Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Paul, an apostle, notice what he says, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul said, I am an apostle, and I was not made an apostle by men. I was not made an apostle of men. I was made an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. See, Jesus chose Paul as a replacement to Judas. Jesus did something special for Paul, Saul, who he didn't really do for anyone else. He came back after he'd already ascended and he spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. Now let me just say this. He did not get him saved on the road to Damascus. Because everybody has to get saved the exact same way. He, uh, three days later, Saul lost his eye, eyesight. Three days later, a man named Ananias, who was a soul winner, came and preached the gospel to him. But Jesus did appear to uh, Saul, and he told him, and he spoke with him, and there's things that were said that we're not exactly sure everything that was said there. Not everything's recorded. But we know this, Paul was made an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, you might be asking, well, what makes you think or say, or get, what gives you the right to say that the apostles were wrong when they made these qualifications? Well, here's why I think they were wrong. Because Jesus chose Paul as an apostle, and Paul did not meet the qualifications that they came up with. 
I mean, the qualifications they came up with was, you had to be with us since the baptism of John, you had to be with us all the way to the ascension of Christ, you had to have been with us the whole time. Well, here's the one thing about the Apostle Paul, he was late to the party. He wasn't there at the baptism of John. He wasn't there during the three and a half year ministry of Christ. He was not there at the ascension of Christ. So here's what I'm saying. If I have to choose, I love Peter. I love these men. I think they're great men. I'm not talking down to them or anything like that. But if I have to choose between what they decided as an apostle and what Jesus decided as an apostle, I'm going to go with Jesus. Because Jesus actually chose a man that did not meet any of those qualifications. Paul did not meet the qualifications created by the other apostles. I think that the other apostles were simply wrong. I don't think they were wicked or evil. I think their heart was in the right place. I think they, they thought, you know, we got to replace Judas. They didn't know that God already had chosen someone to replace Judas. Jesus was going to replace Judas with a man named Saul of Tarsus, who would later be known as Paul. They came up with these qualifications, but let me just say this. I wonder, because if you read the New Testament, you'll notice that Paul is constantly having to defend his apostleship. And part of me wonders if he has to, let me show that to you. You're there in Galatians? Go back past 2 Corinthians into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1. Paul says, am I not an apostle? He's asking this question. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, he's telling the church of Corinth, he says, if other people don't want to acknowledge me or accept me as an apostle, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. You'll notice that Paul, throughout his ministry, is having to defend his apostleship, and part of me wonders if the reason that Paul has to defend his apostleship is because the apostles came up with these qualifications in Acts 1 that he didn't meet. But Jesus didn't come up with those qualifications. We don't see Jesus telling them, hey, I want you to choose somebody else, and here's the qualifications. We're just told that's something they did. Jesus just appears to, the, to Saul on the road to Tarsus and tells him, Someone's going to come preach the gospel to you, and I'm going to make you an apostle, and he chose him. So you say, well, okay, Pastor Amen, what, what do you think makes somebody an apostle? Well, it seems to me, and this is my thought, that the true qualification, and, and by the way, let me just say this. The reason that Baptists, we like the qualifications in, in, in Acts 1 is because we don't like all these charismatic Pentecostals that want to say that they're apostles. So we point back at those qualifications and say, well, you don't meet those qualifications. You weren't with Jesus from the baptism of John and to the ascension of Christ. And I don't have a problem with that. People do that. I don't have an issue with that. I, I wouldn't argue with somebody about that. But what I believe the true qualification of an apostle is, is that they were handpicked by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because we saw in Luke chapter 6, how did the original 12 become the 12? Jesus spent all night in prayer, and then he came down, and he said, you, 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 not you, you. <laughs> he chose the 12. We don't see Jesus saying, well, I need you guys to have been with me, and you're going to have to be with me until the ascension. He just chose 12. Why is Paul an apostle? Because he chose 12. Because he chose Paul. So the original 12 were chosen by Jesus picking them, and the apostle Paul 
eventually was chosen? How? By Jesus picking him. Look, look at verse 1 again. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Notice what he says. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? See, Paul could add himself. He wasn't with them from the baptism of John until the ascension of Christ, but he could add to his resume the fact that he was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ because the resurrected, glorified Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So he says, look, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? It seems to me that the true qualification of an apostle is that they were chosen by Jesus. Hand-chosen, hand-picked, personally picked by Jesus. And by the way, that still goes against our charismatic Pentecostal friends. Because when they want to get up and say, my name's Apostle Sandra or Apostle Betty or whatever, it's like, well, number one, there's several problems with that statement. But one is you weren't chosen by Jesus. Jesus chose the apostles. Go to Matthew chapter 19. You say, well, why didn't, Jesus, why didn't God get mad and angry with the qualifications in Acts chapter 1? You know, when Matthias came, became an apostle. You know, here's the thing. Remember, there's more than 12 apostles. There's the 12, the chief apostles, but then there's more than those 12 apostles. And I, I think that it wasn't really that big of a deal because Matthias could be called an apostle. He just wasn't one of the 12. He was one of the bigger group, one of the 70 or whatever. Now you say, well, Pastor Manis, it seems like you're making a big deal about this. Why is it a big deal? And here's the, the honest truth. It's really not a big deal. The only reason that I even take the time to kind of talk about it is because I want you to understand this. Remember when we talked about the 12, the, the chief 12, the main 12, the 12 apostles? Well, here's where it, it does matter is because the 12 will receive special recognition for all of eternity. They will receive special recognition during the millennial reign. And this is where the question of who are the 12 matters. Matthew 19, verse 28. And it's not a big doctrinal issue. not something we would fight someone over. It's just something interesting to consider. Matthew 19, look at verse 28. Matthew 19, verse 28, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, the, uh, that, excuse me, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, the regeneration is referring to the resurrection, when the rapture happens, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye, talking to the twelve apostles, shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here we're told that the twelve apostles, because remember, during the millennial reign, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Believers, based off what they did and what they accomplished during their life at the judgment seat of Christ, are going to be rewarded with ruling and reigning with Christ. And part of that reward is that you will be put in a position of authority during the millennial reign. You know, and what that is, we don't know. Obviously, nobody knows. I'm hoping I get to be the king of Sacramento. Amen. And then, you know, I'm going to headquarter myself in our old building. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know, you know, what, what that means and, 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 and all of that. Um, but here's what we do know. The 12 apostles are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Not only that, go to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 14. Revelation 21, 14. 
And the wall of the city, Revelation 21, 14, the wall of the city, and the city being referred to here is New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. The capital city of, 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 of eternity. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, notice, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 apostles' names are going to be on the 12 foundations of New Jerusalem. The 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the question is, who are the 12? Now the name, you know, you might, you might think, you might see Ju the New Jerusalem coming down and the foundations and the names of the apostles there, and you might read it, and it might say something like this. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. You know, it's going to have Simon the Canaanite. It's not going to have, uh, 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 it'll have Matthew the publican. It's not going to have Judas Iscariot. The question is, who's that 12 name going to be? Is it going to be Matthias? I think it's going to be Paul. I mean, if I had to take a guess, I would say the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the guy who brought the gospel to the, 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 the Gentile world, the guy who was handpicked by the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus made a special appearance after his ascension and picked him and said, you're going to be a puzzle. I got a feeling that he's going to be the one on that throne. Not Matthias, nothing against Matthias. I got a feeling that his name is going to be the one in that foundation. Not Matthias, nothing against Matthias. So I just want you to understand so you're not confused by what the Bible is saying here. There are 12 apostles, but there are more than 12 apostles. There are chief apostles. And also, it's just good for you to understand when you say the Bible that just because you read something, that someone is doing something, does not necessarily make it right. I don't think it was wrong. Like, I don't think it was wicked or sinful, but I think that Jesus just had a different idea. It's not going to be Matthias. It's going to be the Apostle Paul. Go to Philippians real quickly. Philippians chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. So we have in this passage these two lessons. Prayerful preparation and a deliberate designation. We see that Jesus chose the twelve. But before he chose the twelve, he spent a night in prayer preparing for that decision. By the way, let me just say this. When Jesus chose Judas, he knew that Judas was an unbeliever. He chose him and put him in that position because he needed someone in that circle of twelve that would have an understanding of the inner workings that they would be able to know where Jesus would be when he needed to be arrested. He needed to have someone close to him, and he chose, uh, he chose him for that reason. And I believe that Jesus also understood that after that, he would replace Judas with the Apostle Paul. And he'd chosen the Apostle Paul. So we have the 12, but there's more than 12. And we have the chief 12 that will receive special recognition. But the point that I want to make is this, and what's interesting to me, is that the Lord Jesus Christ spent time in prayer before a big decision, before a major move in his life. And look, and we can learn from Jesus. If you've got a big decision, you're getting married, or you're getting, taking on a new job, or you're thinking about moving, or you're thinking about just some major task or major decision in your life, spend time in prayer. Spend time. If the Lord Jesus Christ spent time in prayer 
to God the Father, then you and I need to spend time in prayer as well. Look at Philippians chapter 4. We'll finish up. Look at verse 6. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. The word careful there means to be anxious, worried. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, notice, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You and I get to bring our burdens to God. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're just not sure how this is going to play out, what's going to happen here, we get to bring that to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. So don't, don't just miss this, because it's easy to see this and think, oh, just went all night in prayer and then he chose the 12. No, we have Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, having to make a decision, and he said, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about this. And if he had to pray, I'm sure there's things that you need to pray about. I know there's things I need to pray about. And we should learn to spend time in prayer to God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your... Uh, word and thank you for this example from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just know this: if Jesus had to pray, then 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 I gotta pray. And if Jesus needed direction and prayer and strength and prayer, then then we all need direction and prayer and strength and prayer. And help us, Lord, to to make those decisions right before He launched His ministry, right before He went to the cross. These were times, seasons in His life that He spent time in prayer. And help us to learn that the lesson of prayer. And uh, Lord, thank you for giving us just examples in the Bible about these, these men, these apostles that were sent out, the, the chief and also the rest that were used of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us not, not to take on that title, but help us to take on that spirit to be not only disciples, but to be sent ones, soul winners that would go out and preach the gospel. Help us to be a church uh, filled with soul winners, that we might have a, a soul winning army that you would use to preach the word of God in the highways and hedges. Lord, we love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember, the